Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 23rd of April 2023, 11 o'clock service. Katie Lofman speaking on the resurrection in Luke. When Stephen asked me to preach on the resurrection in Luke, I had a look in the Bible and I was surprised to find that there's no account of the resurrection in Luke, the actual resurrection. People go to the tomb, but they don't see Jesus. They don't meet a gardener with a rather familiar voice. They certainly don't see a huge explosion of light and glory or stones rolling back or anything like that. Luke's account of the resurrection is the discovery of an absence, finding a tomb with no dead body in it, nothing to see. And then Luke focuses on two occasions when Jesus was seen, on the road to Emmaus and in the upper room. And on both those occasions, Jesus emphasizes how his resurrection is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. Verse 27, to the couple on the road in Emmaus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And verse 44, to the disciples in the upper room, Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So what's Luke trying to tell us about Jesus? How does he fulfill these Old Testament things? Well, actually, the first Old Testament reference in that chapter is from the angels. So there, there wasn't actually nothing to see in the tomb. There were two angels, which I guess is quite spectacular, really. Um, and the two angels met the women at the tomb, and they referred to Jesus as the Son of Man. That's the title that Jesus sometimes called himself, and it comes from the book of Daniel. So by using that title, they're connecting Jesus with something that Daniel tells us. And if you think about the book of Daniel, it starts off with a terrible situation, the defeat of God's people. And the brightest and the best of them, including Daniel, are carried off into exile as prisoners of the mighty Babylonian Empire. But then a theme starts to emerge through a number of visions. The decadent, materialistic empires of the world are being destroyed. All that excess and injustice and oppression is coming to an end. Instead, authority is given to the Son of Man to rule over the whole world forever, worshipped by everyone. He rescues the world from evil, just as God rescued Daniel from the lion's den. So when the angels at the tomb call Jesus the Son of Man, they're saying that he is that everlasting King of glory who rescues and saves. And here he is, gone. Because although he was overcome by evil, just as Daniel and his people were overcome by evil, apparently defeated, now he has himself been rescued from death by God. So Jesus, in his death and resurrection, represents Israel, attacked and defeated by the evil powers of the world, but rescued by God. And now, as the risen Son of Man, in all his power and glory, he, in turn, rescues the world from evil and gathers it in as his everlasting kingdom. 
So that's what the angels meant when they called Jesus the Son of Man. Jesus was the archetypal perfect human who fulfilled the scriptures by representing us and facing evil on our behalf. So that means that even though we still experience evil, we don't have to let it get the better of us. We can claim that victory that he won on our behalf and that can give us hope. It means that if we're facing death, the death of someone we love or our own death, we know that it's not the end. If we're full of guilt and regret, we know that God can still love us and forgive us. He can rescue us from that guilt. If we're beaten down by circumstances, we know that Jesus is right there alongside us, sharing the suffering and taking the sting out of it. Even in the darkest times, he gives us glimmers of hope, moments of redemption, proof of his love and his ultimate rescue. Later in the chapter, we see Jesus walking to Emmaus with two of his disciples. They haven't recognised him, but he takes the opportunity to tell them exactly who he is. Luke says that beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. There are specific prophecies in the Old Testament which Jesus' life and death and resurrection seem to fulfil, and one of those is the passage from Isaiah that David read to us just now. But there's also a sense in which Jesus is the fulfilment of the whole of the law and everything that the prophets were saying. After all, what was the purpose of the law? It was to tell people how to recognise the difference between right and wrong. It was to show people the right way to live and how to be close to God. As God's own people, the Jews could have been a shining example of that to the rest of the world living a good life in harmony with God, blessing the world through their relationship with him, serving the world like a servant. But we know from the prophets that they constantly fell short of that ideal. All through the Old Testament, the prophets are forever calling Israel to turn back to God. And God provided a way back for the Israelites through sacrifice. The animal sacrifices set out in the Old Testament in the law, they atoned for the people's sins and they expressed their thanksgiving and their praise. And Jesus fulfilled those sacrifices in his own sacrifice, his death on the cross. That atoned for all sin everywhere. So his is the sacrifice (coughs) that all those other His is the sacrifice that all those other sacrifices symbolised and looked forward to. They only worked because his own sacrifice was coming. And people didn't realise how they worked at the time, but they did them out of faith. They had to trust God's law that he would honour that. So what's the parallel for us? We don't know much about God's future kingdom We don't know much about what it would be like. But just like those Israelites, we're called to act out of faith, to live out an example of that future kingdom, to do things that will give people a preview of that kingdom 
its values and its realities. We don't know how it will work in practice, but like the Israelites, we follow what God's told us. And in our case, we have Jesus' example as well. And we have faith that just as Jesus fulfilled the old covenant between God and his people, he will also fulfill what he's told us of the new covenant that we live under now. So those people in the Old Testament were a prophecy of Jesus' life on earth. And we now are a prophecy of Jesus' kingdom, which he will fulfill when he comes again, just as he fulfilled this old prophecy when he came the first time. And the reason we can have faith is because of Jesus and his resurrection. That's the proof. In one of Jesus' parables, a rich man says that someone should rise from the dead and then everyone would believe. Well, Jesus did, so we can believe. And that's something that we can hang on to as an assurance that what Jesus taught was true. But we also need to be able to look at the world through the eyes of faith. We need to be actively searching for resurrection and signs of hope here in the world. Just as there were things in the Old Testament that in their life, in their everyday life, that gave a foretaste of Jesus, so there are things in today's world that give a foretaste of Jesus' new kingdom. Our job, like those Old Testament people, is to embody them and to preserve them, to bless the world. So where can we see signs of the resurrection and God's kingdom breaking into our world right now? I was at the London Book Fair this week and I was thinking, where can I see resurrection here in this trade fair in Olympia? Well, resurrection means life and rebirth. So did I see that at the book fair? Well, here are a few things that I did see. The book fair was bursting with life. Thousands of publishers, authors and bookie people, tens of thousands of books and illustrations published ones and ones not yet published. There was a huge amount of creativity there, not only in the writing and the artwork, but in the displays and the meetings and the seminars. The whole thing is a creative celebration of creativity. And creativity is an attribute of God. And creativity, well, that's how God made the world, through his own creativity. And it's one of the ways in which we are made in his image because we have creativity too. And creativity is the opposite of death. It's a bringing to life of things and ideas. And it's the way that we shape the world. So yes, I saw resurrection in the creativity at the book fair. Another thing I saw a lot of was hope and purpose. It's a place where people display new things and the things that they're working on and they hope that each one will be a success. The publishers are hoping for good sales and every meeting is premised on the hope that a deal will come out of it. The authors and illustrators are hoping for a publisher for their next book and everyone is hoping for good things from every meeting and every conversation, whether that's a sale or some work or just a catch-up with an old colleague. A book fair is a very hopeful and purposeful place. And hope is very much an attribute of the new creation. We live our whole lives in hope 
in the hope that we are helping to build God's kingdom. It's hope which enables us to keep to that purpose, despite a lack of understanding. So when we embody that wholesome hope in our business dealings and our relationships, we're giving a little preview of God's kingdom. So yes, I saw resurrection in the hope that I saw and experienced at the book fair. And the other thing I saw was love. A love of books and storytelling. A love of the book industry. People loving their work and people meeting old friends. All these were very visible. And all of these are gifts from God. He made us creative and he made us to work. So we love it when we fulfill our purpose in that way. And it gives us another insight into the kingdom, a place where we'll be fully human in the way God meant us to be, where we'll be fully living out the purpose that he's given us. So yes, I saw resurrection there too, the love that makes things meaningful and enables us to triumph over the things that would drag us down. But of course, the kingdom of God is not fully formed in the London Book Fair. And there is also the flip side of those things present too. Creativity channeled into inappropriate things that don't bring glory to God. Not only hope, but desperation. And instead of love, people left to feel on the outside or fed up and jaded. The reality of life in the here and now is that both are present all the time. And it's up to us which one we see and which one we focus on and which one we draw attention to. Where do you see resurrection in your own life? Where is God infusing your situation, perhaps with creativity, hope, love? Because he is. We just need to get used to seeing it, recognizing it. Is there a problem that's slowly getting resolved? Is God providing just enough for your needs in these times of rising cost of living? Is there healing taking place in your life? Or creativity? Or hope? Well, those are signs of the kingdom that will be fulfilled in the future, just like Jesus fulfilled the sacrifices of old. On the other hand, you may be sitting there thinking that your situation is hopeless, And you don't see any of those things. If that's the case, and there are times for all of us when that is the case, then what we can do is pray that God will have the victory in your life. That God will break the power that those things have over you at this moment. Because God is a God who rescues, as he shows us in the book of Daniel. Jesus is the Son of Man, who has rescued the world from evil, and he can rescue us. And when we see that, it's a prophecy of his kingdom. We're living out a prophecy that Jesus will fulfill in the future, just as he fulfilled the law and the prophets when he was here on earth the first time.